Well, if you were here last week, I started off with a story about when I was in eighth grade. I'm going back a little bit further today to sixth grade, but I feel like I'm becoming one of those guys who says, back in my day, so um, forgive me for that. But when I was in sixth grade, it was the first time that I had a serious long-term girlfriend. Sixth grade. It was real serious, real serious. Talking about marriage and everything. No, I'm just kidding. But, but we, ha- like, we hung out. We, we dated. We were going steady, whatever you know, it's called nowadays. We hung out. I don't know. But that's what was going on. And uh, 30 years ago, it's, you know, it's 30 years ago, there was no cell phones, no text, no FaceTime. So I had one picture of my girlfriend. It was her yearbook picture. And it was a terrible yearbook picture. But I had it cut out of the yearbook up in my room so I could look at this awesome girlfriend of mine, but a horrible picture of her. Well, all that changed one day when we went to Kings Island. We pulled up at Kings Island. We were walking around all day, rode the rides. I'm sure I tried to win her something and lost all my money. But we saw one of those three-picture photo booths. People know what I'm talking about? Know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Now they have them at weddings and stuff. But back in the day, they were like this special thing. And they had this like blue curtain that you could close and you could get your picture taken. And so we got in the booth, put the money in, and we got our pictures. And so I went home not with one picture of a yearbook picture that wasn't good, but I went home with three pictures and me, and she looked good. She looked real good in these pictures. And so as soon as I got home, I took down the bad picture and put up the good three pictures. And I looked at it so often over the next like two months before we broke up and she moved away and I never saw her again. But I can still, 30 years later, I can remember all three of the pictures. And I say that today because we are going to talk about a word today. It's a word, meek. And I think that we have this idea of what meekness is, and we have a horrible yearbook picture of it. And so today what I want us to do is to try to take that picture down and give us like a three-picture snapshot of what meekness really is. And the reason why I want to do that is because we're in um, this series where we're looking into uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And if we don't have a proper understanding of what meekness is, we will totally fail to understand what that verse is all about. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I think the reason why we have such a bad idea of what the word meek is, is partly because of our definition in English of the word meekness. Meek, in the English definition, is submissive, quiet, gentle, easily imposed on. And so I think that when we think about someone who's meek, the first person that comes to my mind is Adrian from Rocky 1. Not Rocky 5, not Rocky 4, just Rocky 1. Um, But we get this picture of someone who's meek, and we think that there's someone who kind of maybe cowers in fear, they maybe flinch. They uh, don't have much courage. They can't really stand up for themselves. They're easily picked on. Maybe they're quiet. They're soft-spoken. And that's what we think of with meekness. And again, I think part of that is true, but I think that there's a much better picture of that word meek that we will do um, and talk through today. Before we do, to remind you where we've been, we're we're in Matthew chapter 5. That's when Jesus begins to give the Sermon on the Mount. We've already talked about everything that's happened before this. So Jesus has been born. Jesus has been baptized. He's gone through temptation. He begins proclaiming this truth, and he's prophesied to be the Messiah, the one who brings truth into the darkness. And we have gone through all of that stuff. And then we've also started talking about the beginning of the the, um, Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, 
Um, but if you remember, at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus goes up to a mountain and sits down and begins to teach his disciples. And so everything that Jesus is saying in this, although it's to a huge crowd of people, it's, he's speaking specifically to the disciples. Now, at this point in time, it's not the 12 disciples, it's just disciples generally speaking. So anybody who believes in Jesus, who trusts him, who is following not only his teachings, but his way of life, that is who Jesus is speaking to when he says all of this. And he says um, eight different kind of maybe characteristics. He says, blessed are, and then he says something. And then after each one, he gives maybe kind of like a promise where he says, theirs is or they shall and so, so far, we've talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. And if you were here when Kevin talked about that, he said that being poor in spirit is, um, it's not being pridefully arrogant, but it's also not being falsely humble. And so being poor in spirit kind of summarizes both realizing that apart from God, you are powerless and hopeless, yet realizing that in Christ, you are more than conquerors. That's what poor in spirit really is. And then we talked about blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we talked about how we can so often think of mourning as mourning over the loss, whether it's loss of a person, loss of a pet, loss of a thing, loss of a dream, loss of a job. But really true mourning, and the mourning that Jesus is talking about here is really the mourning over our sin, the mourning over sin altogether. And we talked about that really it's through us learning to mourn over our sin that God brings the ultimate comfort, this eternal comfort of a relationship with him and an eternity that we will be with him. And so that's where we've been. And today, like I said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And again, I think that we have this wrong picture of meekness. And I think that the reason why we have it, partly because of the English definition, but there's a second reason, I think. If you look up every single translation that you can find on the Bible app, which I did, other than, um, Clay, what's that weird, weird translation we talk about at House Church some? Yeah, the Hawaiian Pigeon Version. I did not look it up in that. If you ever read in that, it makes no sense. Um, but I was reading every other translation, and almost every single translation says, Bless all the meek, for they will inherit the earth, or a variation very, very close to that. But all of them pretty much use the word meek, except for a handful say, Blessed are the humble. And then a handful say, blessed are the gentle. So again, I think that we come into to today, come into without really diving deep into what the Bible has to say, we think of meekness as somebody who's humble, gentle, submissive. But I think that there's more than that. Before we dive into it, let's pray. Lord, I come before you um, knowing that you have given us your word and that you use it so often in my life, in my heart, and in my mind. I pray that you would do that for all of us today. God, I pray that you'd help us to leave behind any inaccurate views of the word meek that we have, and that you would brand this true meaning on our minds. That just like 30 years from when I got that three-picture snapshot, it's still branded on my mind. I pray that you would brand this on our mind. God, I pray that you would use your word to pierce our hearts, to pierce our soul, that you'd remove any distractions that are here today, and that you would help us to truly, truly hear from you. In your awesome and precious name, amen. One of the things that I've found really interesting as I've started um, really studying for any of the messages that I'll be doing through the, the Beatitudes, through this first part of the Sermon on the Mount, is how often the things that Jesus is saying, it's not new. 
It's something that has already been stated before. He's, and a lot of times he's reminding them, reorienting their minds to it. He's reorganizing it. He's restating it. But the one that I find the most like that is this particular one. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Because it, it seems like Jesus is diving deep into what Psalm 37 says and is bringing it all back. And so the first place that I think that we can get this better picture of what meekness really is comes from Psalm 37. If you want to, feel free to open up your Bible to Psalm 37. I'm going to be referring to a bunch of verses throughout Psalm 37, but um, you can follow along just fine without if you want to do that as well. So the first picture of what it really means to be meek, I think, comes and should come to us from Psalm 37. The reason why I say that it seems like Jesus is restating what's said in Psalm 37 is because in Psalm 37, verse 11, it says, "Bless," or excuse me, but the meek shall inherit the land. And then if you look in Psalm 37, verse 22, it says, For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. And if you put those two verses together, it is exactly what Jesus says. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. And so, again, we get that picture of it. But if you look all throughout Psalm 37, it talks about inheriting the land a lot. And so I think that Jesus is thinking of this as he's saying this. But if you look through Psalm 37, you would also see in verse 29, it says, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. And so if it says that the, I'm not good in math, I'm not, but, but I always remember the concept of like, if A equals B, then A plus C equals B plus C. What's that? Is that, that's called something. Yes. Yes. That's the math teacher, right? We got a lot of teachers, so I can just look at the right one to get what it is I'm talking about. But if, if, that, if Psalm 37 says that the meek inherit the earth, and then it says that the righteous inherit the earth, then I think that we can also summarize that meekness is righteousness. And so I think that a meek person, over and above just being gentle, just being humble, it's someone who is righteous. It's someone who does the right thing. If you, if you look into that, you, it would be like also in verse 37, they are upright, they're blameless. But I don't think it's just that they do the right thing. Verse 34 in Psalm 37 says, wait for the Lord and keep his ways and he will exalt you to inherit the land. And so again, if meekness inherits the land and waiting for the Lord inherits the land, then I think that meekness really is, can be defined as someone who can wait on the Lord. And so over and above just being gentle, humble, and submissive, what we really have with someone who is meek, and what Jesus is really talking about in this, is it's someone who is righteous and someone who waits for the Lord. To put that another way, I think a person of meekness does what God wants and when God wants it done. Now, you can see that also about waiting on the Lord in verse 9 where it says, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And again, all throughout this whole chapter of Psalm 37, you see so much that really dives deeper into what meekness is. And it's the first part of what a picture of meekness really looks like. But again, I think that if you look at verse 3 in Psalm 37, it says, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And so again, if meekness equals inheriting of the land and trusting equals inheriting of the land, I think that we can say that meekness is defined by someone who trusts in the Lord. They trust in the Lord so much that they're able to do what God wants and when he wants. 
And it comes out of that trust for God. So someone who is meek has a deep, deep trust in the Lord. All of these things that I'm going to mention over the next like 30 seconds are all found throughout Psm 37. And because, I, because we kind of do that, that the property of equal, whatever we just said it was, I've already forgot. I think we can say that a meek person is one who, who doesn't fret, who delights themselves in the Lord, who commits their way to him, who are able to be still, who know that God is in full control, has a knowledge that God is who upholds them, that God is who feeds them. Meek people are able to give of themselves, of their resources. They move only when God leads. They don't fear falling down. They don't fear being knocked down. And they are a people that have the knowledge that they are preserved forever. Meek people are not just humble and submissive and gentle. Meek people are people who deeply and profoundly trust the Lord. And it's out of that trust that they are able to do what God says when he says. Now, it makes me think again of almost adding the the meek before several verses. I think you could almost add the meek before Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And if you did, it would say the meek trust in the Lord with all of their heart. And they lean not on their own understanding in all of their ways. They acknowledge him and he makes their path straight. I think that you could add the meek right before 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. So then it would say the meek humble themselves Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time he may exalt them, they cast all their anxieties on him because he cares for them. I think you could take the meek and add it in front of Exodus 14, 14. The meek are people who know that the Lord will fight for them, and they need only to be silent. If you're like me, this yearbook picture of meek that you have is so inaccurate. It's not a true representation of what meekness really means. A meek person is someone who trusts in the Lord so much that they do what he wants when he wants, but it goes deeper than that. Psalm 37 also would, I think, show us that not only do they do what God wants when he wants, but they say what God wants when he wants it said. For me, when I think of meekness before this, I think of someone who really didn't speak up. Someone who doesn't, never wants to pick where they go to dinner. Somebody who's just, oh, whatever. They just go with the flow. But I don't think that that's what Psalm 37 gives us the picture of. I think that it shows us that a meek person is willing to speak when God wants them to speak. And I, the reason I say that comes from Psalm 37, verse 30. It says, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. And again, if someone who is meek is righteous because they both inherit the land, then if you change the way that you read that and say, the mouth of the meek utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. Again, I don't think that the meek person is just always quiet, backed into a corner, but they know what to speak and know when to speak. And it comes out of a trust in the Lord. It comes out of listening to the Lord. It comes not only in words, but in their life as well. Like there's people who you can just... You can see Christ in them even when they're not speaking. I think that's what they're talking, what Jesus is talking about, about meekness here. But when they do speak, they speak in a certain way. And it makes me think of James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. It also makes me think of 2 Timothy 2, 24, 25, where it says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, 
patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness or with meekness. Someone who is meek is not someone who never speaks, but who speaks when the Lord tells them to speak and how the Lord tells them to speak. So if we take these two things, kind of Psalm 37 together tells us that someone who is meek is someone who trusts in the Lord so much that they do what God wants when he wants. They have such deep and profound security in the Lord that they're able to speak when God wants them to speak, what God wants them to speak, and they're able to do it in a way that is gentle and humble. Meekness goes so far beyond just being humble and submissive and gentle. Again, um, Psalm, or James 1, 19 through 21 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, this does not produce meekness. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Someone who is meek is able to show restraint. They're able to remain silent. They're at work and all sorts of stuff is crazy and they don't lash out. They wait on the Lord and they ask him to provide an opportunity to say it. Not only to say it, but to say it in a gentle way. Meek people, um, I would say, have a gentle disposition that's resulted from them submitting to the Spirit. It doesn't mean that they don't speak. It doesn't mean that they are a coward. It doesn't mean that they're weak. It means that they know what the Lord is leading and they do what they're supposed to do based on what God is leading. So they're able to turn the other cheek. They're able to go through injustice gracefully. They're able to go through injustice patiently. They're steady people who are even-tempered. I think what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are the meek, is he saying, blessed are the people who do what God wants when he wants because they trust him. Blessed are the people who have such security in the Lord that they'll speak when they should and they'll shut their mouths when they should. If you're like me, the uh, speaking part is a little easier. The shutting your mouth part is a little bit harder. But some other people, the shutting your mouth part is too easy. And the speaking up is too hard. And for all of us, it's us learning what meekness is, that we speak what we should speak, when we should speak it, because we're listening to the Lord. I think when, that, when and if that were to happen, we would be a people that, like Titus 3.2 talks about, we'd be a people who speak evil of no one. A people who avoid quarreling and who are gentle and show perfect courtesy to all people. That is what someone who is meek, I believe, looks like. Someone who is meek, I believe, looks like what Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentle, gentleness or meekness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The first picture that we get is from Psalm 37, that a meek person is someone who is gentle, humble, and submissive, but far beyond that. They're a person who do what God wants, when he wants, out of trust for him. There are people who, who have such security in the Lord that they say what God wants, when he wants. And as I was trying to put that into one, like a one-sentence thing to, to walk away with, I think that a person who is meek simultaneously blends all of the fruit of the Spirit. 
If you remember in Galatians 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think a person who is, defines meekness is one who is in, able, able to embody all of those at the very same time. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, I think he's saying, blessed are the ones who embody the fruit of the Spirit. Period. Well, if you're not convicted enough yet, which I, I know I am, I think that there's a second picture beyond just what Psalm 37 would show us. I think there's a second picture that we should get out of meekness and that we should take to replace that yearbook photo picture that we have, and it's one that comes from this actual Greek word. So um, the Old Testament predominantly is translated from Hebrew. The New Testament is a little bit Aramaic and then mostly Greek. And so this Greek word that we translate to our English word meek is the word pros. I may say it wrong, but that's P-R-A-U-S. That's the Greek word that we translate to meek. <clears throat> it's actually a Greek military term. And so for me, as I, when I first learned that, read that, I was like, wait a second. This word meek that I think of as someone being a coward, it's actually a Greek military term. Now this term was used to define a horse that had been trained for battle. So a meek person is like a meek horse. One that has been trained for battle. So what would happen is they would go get these wild stallions in the mountains and they would bring them down and then they would, take the, they would do the process of breaking in a horse. I know nothing about horses. I know that the Neubauers know some stuff about the horses. I know Meyer's family knows some stuff about horses. I'm sure there's some others that know some stuff about horses. I don't. If I tried to get on a horse, it would probably buck me off and I'd be, you know, on the ground for a long period of time. But what they would do is they would take these horses that were wild, they were unsubmissive, they were untrained, and they would begin this process of teaching it to accept a saddle, to accept a rider, and to accept that the rider is the master. If the rider says go left, the horse goes left. If the rider says go right, the horse goes right. And so a meek horse would be one that obeyed, one that had full loyalty to the master. But it also would be one that had been broken and it was no longer um, wild. And so the goal of that, if you were going to train a horse to be ready for warfare, you would try to get it to retain its ferocity. You'd want it to retain its courage and its power. But you would want it to be so disciplined that the slightest nudge of a foot would make it ready to obey. You'd want to train the horse in such a way that with a simple word, the horse could be running 30 miles an hour and come to a sliding stop. Otherwise, it wouldn't be ready for battle. And so what they would do is they would train these horses, they'd break these horses in, and a horse that had been broken in, but was, it was pretty good, they would use it to pull wagons. And if it was maybe even a little bit better and a little bit faster, then they might use it for racing. But the horses that were um, the best horses, they would be trained for warfare. And once they had trained this horse in such a way to be like that, that it would be ready to obey immediately with the slightest nudge. When they got this horse that would no longer be frightened or spooked by arrows and spears and torches and people falling over, then they would say that that horse has been meeked. Our first picture comes from Psalm 37 of what meekness really is, but I said our second, I think, comes from what that word that we translate to meek really means. It is a Greek military term of one that has been so trained that they're, they're not spineless, 
but they're submissive. They're not dominated by anyone, but they're dependent on someone. I think that they embody strength under control. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. It is power under control. I I read that um, Aristotle at one point in time said, if you took reckless and cowardice, meekness is right in the middle of both of those. A meek person is one who has been humbled, who's submissive, fully dependent on the Lord, who's meek but not weak, They display power under control. They have a steady courage. They're not reactive. Again, our first picture shows us that meekness comes to us from Psalm 37. We can see so much about it. We can also see so much about it about this Greek military word that we translate to the word meek. But I think that there's a third one. And actually, I think that the first two just point to the third one. The true picture of meekness is in the person of Christ. If you were to look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see that God, that Jesus often says, I do only what the Father is leading. You would see Jesus say that he only speaks when the Lord tells him what to speak. So much so that he says, I and the Father are one. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane will say, not by my will, but by yours. He is someone who profoundly, deeply trusts in the Father. You would see that Jesus is gentle and humble and submissive, but in no way, shape, or form weak. You see Jesus who rides into Jerusalem to announce that he's king on a donkey. It says that he's meek. He rides into town on a donkey. But he's not weak because that will set in motion him to not be taken into captivity and to be unwillingly put on the cross, but to willingly go to be put on the cross. Submissive, humble, gentle, but not at all weak. Power under control. Someone who does what God wants when he wants, says what God wants when he wants. So much so that 1 Peter 2.23 will say that when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Meek people trust, deeply trust in the Lord. They continue entrusting themselves over. That's why we see that Jesus did not come to serve, but to be served. He's gentle and meek, and he he gets on his knees, and he serves, and he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus is the perfect picture of meekness. Jesus allows himself to be mocked, beaten, and abused, not because he's weak, but because how strong he is. I read this quote that Jesus marched through hell to keep us from it. That's meekness. It's an unbelievable meekness. Jesus truly was like a war horse, fighting a battle, but not just any old battle, the battle against sin, the battle against death. And the good news is, he won. Jesus was the perfect picture of meek. He patiently endured injustice. He patiently endured suffering with grace. He was not bitter. He was not revengeful. He was, not, um, com- he was composed. He was like a war horse that was unflinching 
going throughout the entire battle. He was willing to go into that battle no matter the cost. He was even-tempered. He was self-controlled. He was slow to anger. He wasn't provoked. However, he never in any way backed down from what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to do it. Never backed down from saying what he was supposed to say when he was supposed to say it. And again, I think if we come in here and we have this yearbook picture of meekness that it's just gentle and humble, then we leave with this poor picture of what meek really is. Meek is so much more embodied and shown throughout what Psalm 37 says. It's so much more that we can see through the Greek military word. And it's so much more that we see when we take a long, hard look at the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the verse doesn't just say meek and that's it. It says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And so that word blessed, we've talked about for the past couple weeks, but it means happy and satisfied and content. So if you read it that way, then really it's happy are the people that no longer live their own way. Content are the people who are no longer wild and rebellious people. Satisfied are those who have been meeked that have been brought into submission, they've been brought to dependency, they've been made humble. Happy, satisfied, content are those who are willing to go to war against sin. Happy, satisfied, content are those who do what God wants when he wants, who say what God wants when he wants. Happy are those who are able to wait on the Lord doesn't feel like that oftentimes. If God's ever called you to wait for something, I don't think that the first thing you think is, man, this is great. I'm really happy about this. But that's the, the beautiful picture of meekness. Satisfied are the ones who are able to endure hardship, knowing that God is greater. Content are those who are able to forgive even the greatest wrongs against them. Happy, satisfied, content are those who profoundly trust in the Lord Happy, satisfied, content are those who have a deep-rooted security in Christ. Happy, satisfied, content are those that are able to be gentle even when insulted. They're able to embody strength under control. Happiness is not from doing what you want, how you want, when you want, but it truly comes in when we're able to do what God wants, when he wants, how he wants where freedom comes. Happy, satisfied, content are you when you live out the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I think at this point in time, we're led to two directions. We feel the weight of this. We, we begin to understand what meekness really is, and we realize that we probably live this out one one-thousandth of a time. And not only do we very, very rarely live it out, that is exactly what we are called to do and to be. So it leads us two directions. One, to the point of shame and guilt, condemnation, like, man, I am a piece of junk. Which is true, not you, me, but... <laughs> the second place that I think that it leads us and should lead us is to the arms of Christ. It should lead us to the realization that 
blessedness over and above being happy, content, and satisfied means having the very qualities and characteristics of God. So the only way that any of us can even possibly be meek, other than that one one one-thousandth of a time, is when it is no longer I who's living, but it is Christ who's living in me. The only way that we can say blessed are the meek is they have the very qualities and characteristics of God in their life because it is God that is living through them, not them living. You can see it most in Galatians 2.20, which says, We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The beauty of Jesus displaying meekness is he came and he was meek so that we could be made meek. So it can drive us to condemnation, it can drive us to guilt and shame that I can't do this, or it can drive us into the arms of Christ who will do it in and through us when we die to self, when we beat our body into submission, when we yield to him, when we deny ourselves and take up our cross daily, what begins to happen is we, like a horse, like a horse trained for war, the Lord begins training us for a war. He makes us more and more meek to train us for the war against sin. Now, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We've talked about blessed. Blessed is happy, content are the people who are meek. But we've also said they have the very qualities and characteristics of Jesus because it's Jesus living in them and through them. But we really haven't talked about they shall inherit the earth. But I'm sure you're probably ready for me to stop talking, so I'm going to be real brief on this part. I could go so much deeper on this part. I could talk about all the way back Abraham in, the, in Genesis when, G, when God comes to him and says, I will make you a great nation. I will make you a people. You'll be more than the stars in the sky. Your people will. And I am going to give you a land. I could go all the way back there and trace it all the way through the Bible to bring it current, but I'm not going to do that today. When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, happy, content, satisfied are those who do what God wants, when he wants, how he wants. They say what God wants, when he wants, how he wants. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. The best thing that I can say is, what does it mean to inherit the land? I don't really know. Other than the fact that I was reading through every translation trying to figure out what else meekness really meant. And I came across the message translation, um, which translates, they shall inherit the earth part, totally different. And I think to me, it epitomizes what I think Jesus is saying here. Blessed are the meek, for that's the moment that you find yourself as the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. What does it mean that the meek inherit the earth? It means that they have the greatest gift there is. They have Christ. And it doesn't matter what happens on this earth. It doesn't matter if you turn on the news and there's sickness everywhere. It doesn't matter if you turn on the news and there's people getting shot everywhere. What matters is, is that I have the Lord and nothing and no one can take that away. And when we are a people that have such a deep and profound trust in the Lord, we have such deep security in the Lord, who the crap cares what happens? Because we have the Lord. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit everything that the Lord can give them that this world cannot give them. 
you can get a, from this world, you can get a great new car and some jerk slammed their, their grocery cart into it. You can get a nice house and then you can have children and your children can ruin everything that you have worked hard to have. Or your house church, or your house church, yes. This world would tell us that it has so much to offer and it's garbage. Paul said, I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. God, um, I know, you know, we all know that apart from you, we are nothing. We are not meek people. We are falsely strong or we are way too taken advantage of. But yet in you, through you, we are more than conquerors. In you and through you, we can be blessed. Not because of the things that we have on this earth, but because we have you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't really just have you, I pray that more than anything in this message, that they would understand that you are worthy to be had and you came from heaven to earth so that we could know you so that we could experience you, and so that we could be blessed by you, that we could have the very qualities and characteristics of God because God is living in us and through us. God, I pray that you would help any of us, even one of us, to continue in that process of allowing you to make us meek, that you would meek us, that you would um, take us to the point where we would be humble and submissive to you, that we would say what you want, when you want, we would do what you want, when we want, because we trust you, because we're secure in you. We care not about this world. We care about you. We could forfeit the whole world and yet still have you. God, if there's anyone here who does not get that, does not understand that, I pray that you would open up their eyes to see that. We pray all this in the name that is above all names, and that's the name of Jesus Christ.